2: I don't think. Uh, I was thinking they can't. I uh, just uh, taking me out to the game for a bad pitch, so uh, I get a surprise to that Wanna keep the game because I know that the situation the boot right now.
3: It's to, you're saying that it was not intentional. No, it's not intentional.
4: Yeah. Well, the lie was intentional, just like the pitch was intentional, intentionally aimed at Wilson Contreras, so the Jimmy Cordero, the. Sox reliever was thrown out of the game for. I actually I would try to get thrown out of the game if I were Jimmy Cordero because he's become Ricky Renteria for Steve Seashek. Whatever Joe Madden did to Steve Seashek, Ricky Renteria is doing to Jimmy Cordero, and there goes your career. And see you later. Thanks for playing our game. Welcome in. Welcome back, Steve Rosenblum, and Mark Rohde on Saturday. Suckage. We're going to the Alpamonte Ford Hotline, Alpamonte Ford in Melrose Park, because. We're pleasers, not teasers, and we needed to make a wellness check on someone near and dear to us, someone very important to us, someone who is apoplectic and beyond. And earlier this week in a video recap, was the most hysterical thing I ever saw. Lawrence Holmes held up one sponsor card Another sponsor card, and then turned off the camera. That was his <laughs> recap of the white side. Well, he James. threw the hat.
3: You, you <laughs> forgot the
4: hat I forgot. Oh my God! Yeah. I forgot.
1: He Lawrence, fired the hat.
4: I, I kept watching it. I kept. I, I didn't break it down well enough to remember the hat thing. I just that was the most spectacular thing, I ever saw. But it prompted us, especially after yesterday's. You know. Bad, bad gutless and stupid performance as Dean Wormer would say we needed to make a wellness check on you because we know there were drinking tools set out in your video we just wanted to see how you were today so update us would you please I am doing fine I thought that
2: yesterday was was high comedy uh, for for the White Sox and I actually like I I was angry on Wednesday, and I was really angry on Thursday with what happened with the White Sox. But yesterday, I just kind of laughed at it because here, here's what – and first of all, I was, I've was i been experimenting with Venezuelan rum, so that's why. Like last night, I made a little, like, little cocktail, and it was delicious. Um, but I'm just laughing at them because you can't – be the we-celebrate-Tim-Anderson team. Like, you can't be the team that has all these promos of your best player in, in a seminal moment, I think, for White Sox baseball, chucking his bat after after hitting a home run off of a Royal and then all of the stuff that happened with the Royals and the Royals throwing at Tim Anderson – you can't be that team. You can't be the super swaggy, we only button our jerseys up to the third button team. And then when Wilson Contreras outswags you with a bat flip to the heavens, you get mad. I, I, thought, it was, I, I thought it was really funny. I, I, I especially thought that Ricky Renteria getting pacified by umpires while he's desperately trying to get thrown out Like, if you're going to have a tantrum, then have the full tantrum. Like, don't go halfway with it. Mm -hmm. Act a fool. If you're going to go go out that way, instead of having the umpires basically be like, oh, that's adorable that you're doing that thing, Ricky. (laughs) Pat you on the head. And then I, I don't even know what Coop's doing. Like, I don't know if I've ever seen where the manager and the pitching coach come out at the same time, like I would have tossed Coop immediately from, from that. Like as soon as he, he stepped out onto the dirt, he would have gotten tossed. So that's that's all that I was saying, that you, you can't be the super swaggy team and then be mad when someone else swags you.
3: Well, Lawrence, what it showed me too was that pitchers – still hate the bat flips, that the players have accepted them, the fans have accepted them, but the pitchers hate the bat flips. So to me, not excusing it at all, but Jimmy Cordero is is doing that solely for Dylan Cease, I think, in that spot because pitchers might say they don't care about the bat flips, but they still care about the bat flips. I guess my question is, is are pitchers allowed to get mad at bat flips? sure and and what
2: you can do is you could get the guy out and then you can celebrate like the go. next time that wilson contreras comes up you can get him out and then you can celebrate i do think that there may have been a little something extra i think that part of this had to do with the react from the Cubs bullpen where you had the guy jump on the fence and present his crotch. Like I Jeffers, think that, that may yeah. have played a role uh, with mm-hmm. no more Mazzara in this, but even still, like to me, it, w- it had gotten so it had gotten so ridiculous that then you see the Cubs like, oh, all right, so we're doing it that way. Cool. Then we're going to take extra bases up seven runs. And and now we're going to send Javi Baez up there left-handed. Like, I mean, it was it was it became so funny to me that I stopped being angry about the fact that they that the White Sox can't get a win uh, over the last week of baseball. It's it's extremely frustrating, but very funny.
4: We're, t- <laughs> we're talking about Lawrence Holmes. He hosts middays here on the Score from noon to two. Does a terrific job, and uh, we wanted to make a wellness check on him and. Talk about the White Sox. So as a White Sox fan, you and, and Herb, and there's, there's much biting off of words that, are, that have been done this week. We're talking earlier, and it looked like a group choke from the manager on down by people who have never been in this situation. We've, we, all, we all wanted to see Ricky Renteria in his first manage like it matters situation. And the bed was stained with the Carlos Rodon decision, among other things. He's tried to get kicked out. He's gotten kicked out of either three of the last five games or five of the last three games, and none of it has mattered. He simply does not look big enough for the moment as it stands. And then the players are here in experience. It was a whole lot of fun when people were sort of looking, not really looking. Now that everybody's looking and the games matter – Oops, we're as bad as our manager. We have no answers for this. That's the way it looks to me. This is a, a total group effort, which means they can totally grow by it if things go well. Do you view it that way, or do you break it down into different parts and why?
2: Rosie, I've been work, trying to workshop this and like working through it. Uh-huh. You go back to last Thursday, them being the first team in the American League to clinch a playoff spot by a couple hours over Tampa Bay, and from that moment on, it—it's—I I, think that it's fair for a White Sox fan to go: Did they take their foot off the gas? Mm-hmm. Is what well, was that the objective? And you—you you made the objective, and did everyone exhale, not realizing that your next series of games are going to be against a what I at the time, I—I uh, I, I said uh, plucky. A plucky Cincinnati Reds team that's trying to get into the playoffs, and a Cleveland team that's hungry and wants has some stuff to prove. And I didn't think that it, they got their best efforts out there on the field. We continue to see that Yasmani Grandal, who I think is a framing genius, like as someone who used to catch in, in an amateur way. I enjoy watching him frame. I think he's one of the best in Major League Baseball, and I think the statistics bear that out. But every other aspect of catching, including actually catching the ball, has been something that he has struggled with all season long. Whether we're talking about plays from the outfield like last night where you have a good play, you have a guy out at the plate, but he can't hold on to the ball – because he's trying to swipe tag instead of covering up with two hands and and getting the runner coming down the line. Or the foul pop-up that he missed. Or the play from, I think it was Jimmy Cordero, where you have the tap back to the mound in a four situation, and you have a, a toss, and he doesn't catch that. It's those things that are frustrating. You have pitchers not covering first base, and that's been a thing. And and I and, or not being able to throw to first base. So if Ricky wants to be mad, like maybe a little extra uh, PFPs today would be in order before the you take on the Cubs tonight because that seems to be a struggle for them. Or if it's if it's Madril getting thrown out on the bases, even though he's supposed to be the smartest player that you've ever seen in your life, or him getting injured on the bases, even though he's supposed to be the smartest player that you've ever seen in your life, all that takes away from what I think is one of the, the most endearing stories of heart and hustle that is out there in Major League Baseball. And that's what's going on with Yohan Moncada. This guy still hasn't recovered from COVID. He is out there playing, and he doesn't have the virus anymore, but he hasn't recovered from it. His last three hits have been triples. And you talk about a guy that is putting out for his team – Moncada, who is this team's best player coming into this season, has been giving everything he has. And the fact that they're not winning games where you're seeing a guy who is struggling just to be himself physically and the rest of the guys aren't putting out the same way, it's it's disappointing to say the least.
3: Yeah, I mean... I, I completely agree, and he was Moncada was the guy that coming into the season everybody was like, all right, this is he, he's your MVP candidate, and it's turned out to that two other guys in the team are. But aside from that, Dylan Cease last night allowing the three homers, and I thought it was really funny because I was switching between the TV broadcast last night when Wilson Contreras hits the his first home run. Forget about the second home run because that was off of Yomer. He hits the first home run and on the cubs broadcast you got Ryan Dempster saying that's a good piece of hitting right there that's you know that's a good pitch outside he goes with the pitch and then i flip over to stony and he's saying you can't put that ball there you can't put it hip hit, at hip level that that's that's not going to work and cease's fastball was just too straight and this was a guy who his most impressive performance was against the White Sox in the preseason where he had top-of-the-rotation stuff. What's going on with Cease? Why why has he been giving up the home runs? Why does it seem like his pitches all of a sudden are very easy to hit?
2: Well, there's no late movement on what's going on with Dylan Cease. And to tell you the truth, Groats, I'd rather him get hit than what happened in the previous start where he walked seven yeah. and walked the yard and didn't have command. At least it's him trying to give his defenders an opportunity to help him out. Over In, in the long term, I'm actually not worried about Dylan Seeks. I know that sounds weird to say. I, I think that he's going to be someone that has an impact in this rotation for a long time. There are just some things, mechanically, that he has to figure out that you can't do in a regular season, and you damn sure can't do, in a, a modified 60-game season. The stuff that he's going to have to do has to be deconstructed over the winter and built back up over the spring. And he's tried, like he's tried whether he's going from the windup or if he's going from the stretch. He's tried different release point stuff. And, and a week before the playoffs and now a few days before the playoffs is not really the time to, to make any of these mechanical changes that Cease would have to make. The raw materials are there. He has got incredible stuff. He's got electric stuff. It didn't look like it last night because he didn't have anything that was really moving. But overall, I'm not that worried about him. What I do worry about is, and, and it's been the big issue with the White Sox all season long, is what happens after you give the ball to Dallas Keuchel? What happens? Yeah. Who, who, who are you going to trust if you're in a winner go home situation in the first round? Or if you're in game three, a pivotal game three of five uh, in the second round, who gets the ball? Who would you trust in that situation? And they were hoping it would be Dylan Cease. But I don't even know if Dylan Cease makes your wild card round roster because there's no place for him. You're not going to start him in game three, and you're concerned about some of his control issues so that doesn't make him a really good candidate for the bullpen. This has been the issue, What they, they were able to hit their way out of it for most of the season. And now when they can't hit their way out of it, all of those other things kind of come back and, and you go, how good is this team? And the answer is pretty good, but with a lot of flaws.
3: This could sound crazy, but I think Game Three for the White Sox might be an opener situation where it's a bullpen day that of, of which Garrett Crochet might be a part of. That might be your best way to go because you're right. Even Dane Dunning at this point, you can't just assume that Dane Dunning is ready to be the guy in a in a Game Three scenario. So I wouldn't be shocked, and I don't think it'd be a horrible idea to try the opener thing in a Game Three scenario.
2: Maybe, but then you got to worry about length. And that's why, like, the performance of a guy like Gio Gonzalez last night is so disappointing. And and what he's been the last couple times that he's gone out to the mound, because ideally that's one of the length guys that you would go to in a situation like that. And now I'm, I'm wondering, is your game three starter Reynaldo Lopez? Like, he's mm. been good since he's come back from Schomburg, but – these are the eternal questions with the 2020 White Sox. On so what do you do if if you? And, and my thing is with the matchups with Gilito and Keuchel, you're obviously going to see the other two really good pitchers from the other team. Are you going to be able to put forth the type of offense that you need to to give you a chance to win those games? That's the one encouraging thing about what happened in Cleveland at the end. When you are facing Bieber and Plesak, like you, you weren't squaring those guys up, but you were competitive, and you were able to stay in those games and get into the bullpen and then make some things happen. But it's, um, it's been a rough week, and it's a week that I think puts into question a lot of the, the success and the, the forward movement that the White Sox as an organization have had.
4: Lawrence, you should have much confounding stuff to deal with when they beat a left-hander that they face tonight. You'll wonder if it's just the fact that it's a left-hander. But as long as you have that demon run, that demon rum right by you, I'm sure you'll be all right. And I'll be looking forward to seeing your Loho recap. I want to thank you. Well, for they haven't lost
2: to a lefty this year, right? They, they I'm have saying, a team, All right.
4: sweep lefties I'm, tonight. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm saying. John Lester has a one six four ERA in his last two outings. But, you know, the Sox do that against lefties, and you might be able to play it off as, oh, that's what they do to lefties, but they need to do it to somebody, and they need to do it now, or Loho's going to run out of demon rum, and we don't want hey, that. Hey, speaking to
3: of happen. Loho and all the Loho forums, by the way, you know, Steve <laughs> Steve and I have both been on House of L, Lawrence, and not yeah. to get too serious, but who was the better interview, Steve Rosenblum oh, or Mark were. Rody for House you were. of L? You,
4: dealt, you were, Mark. You dealt with real life. <laughs>
3: Please. You and Lawrence,
4: you and Lawrence dealt with real life. I mean, I had people uh, talking to me about it, and even the replay. Lawrence, you played the replay. You replayed part of it um, later on, and it was. I had people commenting to me about like how I said, "Yeah, people couldn't get out of the car. That's how good it was." I, I, I surrender. That's it. Game over. You win.
2: Wow. I think
4: that that growth,
2: like the overall interview and like the emotion of it, was it was at a higher volume with the Grody interview. I think Rosie told incredible stories. The Reggie Jackson story, the Michael Jordan stuff. Like it, th- those both episodes are are near and dear and both have done really well and Grody yours is one of the, the the most downloaded episodes of House of L that there's been. Like wow. you're in you're in the top 5. Like mm-hmm. you're in the top 5 with Jason God.
3: Oh, my God. So, wow.
2: So so, but Rosie is actually tracking in that direction.
3: Uh Oh, you're coming to get me, Rosie. Well,
4: I, I will just say that, Lawrence, it was very generous of you to give both of us you, one of your platforms to talk to you about and to tell stories. And, I, you know, I've been a fan of stories and I have those to tell. I love listening to them. And it was a great opportunity to sit down with with a friend, with someone I'd really enjoyed talking with and someone who I think is the best interviewer on the score. You give your people an opportunity, you give your guests an opportunity to talk. And I enjoyed it tremendously. So Saturday Suckage, thanks you for having us both on. And we're grateful. I thank you both for being on. Go
2: check out the House of Elf podcast, subscribe, give it five stars, go listen to Steve Rosenblum's episode, go back and search for Mark Brody's episode. I guarantee you will, if you love this show, you will love both of those episodes on their own merit boys have a wonderful rest of your day
4: thanks lawrence (laughs) thanks lawrence well we needed to make a wellness check and uh there's something else that needs a wellness check we're gonna check on the cubs somebody who covers the cubs and just see what what it was a one game thing do they think uh do they have a stroke back all the promising stuff so then We will take a break Saturday, Suckage, and we'll talk some Cubs after this. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score.
0: Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
1: Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game.
0: You have 47 new voicemails.
4: Steve Rosenblum, Mark Rodi, with you, Chicago Sports Radio 670 to score. This is Saturday Suckage. We suck so you don't have to because we're pleasers, not teasers. We are broadcasting live from Hyundai Studios, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. And um, so some programming information. Uh, that before we get out of here today at 2 o'clock, uh, the Inside the Clubhouse gang, Mike Esposito, he used to be on this show, sat in for beep, beep. Matt Spiegel, and sat with Brass, Br- Bruce Levine, and inside the clubhouse had Rick Hahn on, and there were some terrific things Rick Hahn had to say. We will bring you that interview later in the show, including, including Rick Hahn having a savvy take on <clears throat> Jimmy Cordero's pitch that hit Wilson Contreras, and a ruckus after that, and the sanity was restored when Rick Hahn was asked that question, and... Came right out with an answer, so we'll bring you that. Top of the hour, we'll talk with Josh Nelson of the Sox Machine because we want to see if the machine is all broken down or whether it might get healthy against a left-hander tonight. And the Cubs and Sox, just to remind you, the Cubs and Sox are on all weekend on the score. The Wind Trust Crosstown Series is presented by Xfinity. XFi delivers blazing fast Wi-Fi with no curveballs. Bears programming this Sunday from 9 to noon, the pregame. Hub, Patrick Manley, Olin Krutz. They are the Bet Rivers pregame show presented by Mail Medical. And then the, the prop swap post-postgame show. And the reason that is so, it's presented by PNC Bank, Olin Krutz, Anthony Herron after the Cubs postgame. That will be after the Cubs season finale. And the Cubs have the this final weekend to play, which leads us to our next guest, Evan Altman of Cubs Insider. He joins us on the Alpamonte Ford Hotline, Alpamonte Ford in Melrose Park. As this weekend takes place, Evan, were you heartened by what you saw? Or let me put it this way. I know you were heartened by what you saw the Cubs do yesterday, but what was the one or two biggest takeaways that gave you reason for optimism from a team that had sucked since they started 13-3? and three.
5: <laughs> Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, putting sucked is putting it mildly when you drop three straight to uh, to the worst team <laughs> in baseball. But, you know, I, I think the thing, you know, what we saw last night is a team, you know, that comes been impressing a lot. What we saw when you've got guys like Kyle Schwarber and Javi Baez and Wilson Contreras all struggling the thing that they usually do really well, uh, particularly Schwarber and Javi, what we saw from them last year is, when they were pitched outside, they would ride it and they would take that to the opposite field, and that's what we saw was these home runs going oppo. And and when the Cubs are doing that, when they're when they're not trying to force the issue, uh, when they're taking what they're given, especially with Schwarber, who's uh, notorious at least to me uh, for staring down uh, strike three. Uh, you know, he, he took two pitches, he gets into a two-strike count, and then he drives one opposite field. You know, Contreras sits on a 99-mile-an-hour fastball, takes that out. Javi hits the home run and then turns around and bats left-handed and hits a double. I mean, that was a little but, but and, and as, as goofy as that is, right, you hit a double against a position player, you're batting left-handed, that feels like, you know, uh, a beer league type of a, a moment. But that's – the Cubs were having fun. And we haven't seen them have a lot of fun lately. So I think that was really uh, above anything else. That's probably the big takeaway is it just looked like they enjoyed the game.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, they enjoyed the game, and they were reminded themselves that, yeah, you can do this. You can score runs. You can hit the ball out of the park, and you can do it five times if you'd like, even if one of them is against Yalmer Sanchez. But they did do that. I think today, though, Evan is even more important from a Cubs perspective to see what John Lester does against a White Sox offense which has been hefty against lefties this season and I think Lester is slotted in for the playoffs probably in in game three but still I think that this this will show today if Lester is back on track do you agree with that or am I putting too much into today's game for Lester
5: uh, I don't. I don't think you're putting too much into it. it it's going to be very interesting, right? Uh, as you mentioned, and I think you know we heard on uh, on these airwaves. I think it was earlier this week, um, or maybe late last week. Either way, Tommy Hotovy, you know the Cubs' pitching coach, had said or had indicated very strongly at the time that it would be Lester, and that's, that that only makes sense. That's what we're going to see uh, for a potential game three if the Cubs have to play one. Uh, ideally, they won't, but. As you mentioned, the White Sox, uh, right now, other than the Tigers, which is kind of inexplicable, uh, the Tigers are actually the best team in baseball at hitting left-handed pitching. Uh, but the White Sox are, are right there behind them. Yeah, but, go figure. So uh, what does that say about how they hit righties? we well, you know, look at it that way. But, uh, I mean, the White Sox slug like crazy against lefties. We saw that when they faced Lester the first time around. They hit four home runs uh, out of their nine hits against him, scored eight runs. That was his worst start of the year. And that that was a combination of a couple things, you know. I mean, you had Jose Abreu who was just if, if anybody remembers that series, or if you've forgotten it, uh, he just went crazy, hitting home runs every other at bat. It felt like, and and Lester was kind of in a funk there. If he can come back, and and I don't think he needs to be lights out in this one, but he needs to be that sharp John Lester. Needs to be able to kind of hand uh, maybe hand the White Sox a very rare loss against a lefty. I don't think this necessarily says anything just because the White Sox are so good against left-handed pitching, you know, but it would be for them to be able to clinch. And here's the thing is like the Cubs have been backing toward their magic number for the most part before last night, it would really be special. I think for John Lester to be the pitcher uh, who clinches that, who knocks down that magic number rather than having to hope the Cardinals lose or to wait for another win tomorrow. So, um, you know, does it does it say anything really in particular? Not necessarily, but I think a game like this could give Lester and the Cubs a bunch of momentum if he's able to pitch well. So it's a, I think it's a win-win for them either way.
4: We're talking with Evan Altman, Cubs insider, and you can uh, listen to us on the Score. You are listening to us on the Score and Radio dot com app. So the Cubs right now are the third worst um, division winner, uh, assuming they're going to win the division. There. They have the third spot they'll be facing. If the season ended today, they would be facing the Miami Marlins. The Marlins would be making their first playoff appearance since two thousand and three. Anything mm-hmm. of interest happened that? Any <laughs> can you imagine the run up to that playoff series, Evan?
5: I you know, I, I what's gonna be wonderful is that they'll all be national broadcasts, so I'm sure there will not be any old trope, you know, we're not going to have any of that stuff regurgitated at all. So, really, really looking forward to that. Uh, I tell you what, that's going to be Will a lot of fun.
4: Car- you think there'll be cardboard cutouts in a particular seat down the left field line? And uh, if, That's if right. That's is is somebody
5: going to, like, break into Wrigley and, and try to put them there? You know, get the guy who took the tractor in Milwaukee, you know, do we get somebody right. to find the fox maybe if it's a fox it was does, do they have the early games they can they can do their computer overlays of uh you know they'll just put all steve bartman across like they they showed us how they can put their computer graphic fans there but no i mean i think it's it's, it's going to be interesting though because you know this is a those marlins teams i mean the marlins have been in the playoffs twice they've won the world series twice so i'm sure we'll hear about that as well but uh, you know, as much as it's kind of an odd year and everything else, they have a couple of really, really good young starting pitchers who could give the Cubs or, or any team fits. So, you know, I think going into the season, if somebody said, they get to you get to play, uh, play the Marlins at home for three games in the playoffs. I think that would be something anybody would choose. But uh, that's that's definitely going to be an interesting matchup, though, and I, I think it's one that the Cubs can't uh, can't overlook. That's for sure.
3: All right, man. We haven't asked you yet your reaction to the the Wilson Contreras bat flip and the subsequent throwing at by Jimmy Cordero. I
5: love the bat flip. I mean, that was you know <laughs> he got he got it over the
3: scoreboard. You
5: know yeah. when they camera <laughs> yeah. it out, there's this bat just flying up above, and and it, you know uh, I what I found interesting. And you know we're all prone to uh, to little bouts of of hypocrisy or or certainly um, you know double standards. But it's kind of interesting that the the Sox have been out kind of in front with Tim Anderson of this whole let the kids play, let's have fun, bat flips for everyone. And, and then you know Katrina, now, I, perhaps when he bat flipped the walk, uh, that that may have uh, drawn the ire of a couple people but uh, but i love you know cordero comes out and i mean he busted him inside on the first one now when you throw a 98 you know it's one thing to flip a curveball up there and kind of plunk the dude like hey here you go but you're throwing 98 that can do some damage and and he kind of he had the look you know he had the sleeve rolled up looked like he had the the pack of lung darts in there you know kind of like a carny i mean he just looked like he was uh He's a little bit upset, and, uh, you know, he he got run as a result. I just – I think it's foolish. I I hate the idea of throwing at a guy, uh, not just for the health reasons and and things like that, but to me – and the game wasn't close, so it didn't really matter, but why give a team a free runner? You know, you're trying to be competitive. You're trying to win, and Contreras ended up coming around to score on that one, and then he hit another home run. So, it's like you you just don't – don't give somebody a reason – to really be angry with you or to try to exact his own revenge i i thought the whole thing was foolish on uh, on cordero's part and i was i was happy to hear rick hans statements uh, earlier i know your listeners will get a chance to hear that again but you know you don't you don't want the guy to showboat don't give him a reason to and the most uh, and, hilarious hey,
3: part on. too was the the one thing we did sorry evan the one thing we didn't mention was to steve and i at least didn't mention was the hilarious Wilson Contreras slide into home plate unnecessarily after he had been hit by the pitch. Did you did you guys notice that the slide?
4: I yeah. completely forgot that. Yeah. And laying the bat Dude, down gently, when when he hit the homer off Sanchez, he laid the bat down gently. So I assume the Sox would hit him again today uh, because he was acting gentlemanly and I'm sure he was taunting them. So I'm sure the Sox <laughs> will hit him again today. That's what I expect well, if
5: if you get a chance watch the video of it and look at the Cubs dugout for the reaction and watch Rizzo Rizzo almost fell over the top rail just laughing and and slapping it when when uh, when Wilson flipped the bat I mean it's just and but those those are the things again that's what I was talking about earlier is they they're having fun I know a lot of people have gotten on them for chirping in the home dugout uh, and we we certainly heard a little bit of back and forth after they hit my pitch but uh, again, those are the, these are the things that you know it's I don't really consider it much of an actual rivalry, but uh, these two teams both have a whole lot to play for and both are very, very frustrated with the way they've been playing. And so you do I think that factors into it on the white sox part as much as anything that happened in the game. I mean when you drop five straight and you're getting your brains beat in uh, for your sixth straight loss, you drop to third place, uh, obviously that's gonna manifest in in a few different uh, actions that that maybe wouldn't otherwise have been there.
4: Evan Altman of Cubs Insiders is joining us here on the Score on Saturday. Suckage and the idea of <clears throat> Rizzo going nuts was real interesting because it was Rizzo who um, was encouraged. Contreras said by Rizzo con- encouraged Contreras to say, "If you hit a home run, pump up the team, do a bat flip or something." It's exactly what he what Rizzo told him. Contreras does that. And then they do that. And so that's, that's a very – that's the way the, the, this group of Cubs has talked about itself. We're, we're providing our own energy, our own our own motivation, our own momentum. That's what David Ross has talked about in some of the players. But let's talk about David Ross. He's going to the postseason in his rookie year. He is – there's some Kimbral moments where he lost games, but then he attempted to rectify that and just with whatever tough love David Ross has – Evaluate the way he has managed this team this season, such as this season is, Evan.
5: You know, I, I think um, I think there's there's definitely been some ups and downs to it. I know early on, you know, I, it, it felt as if he was really navigating things quite well and and kind of uh, using that same sort of energy that he had brought or the the same sort of vibe that he brought as uh, you know as Grandpa Rossi when he was the backup catcher and, and sort of being the guy, not maybe in the middle of it, but at least at the periphery of, of sort of driving these guys to be energetic, to be themselves. And, uh, and we saw a team that was focused, that was playing well, that was playing fundamental, uh, fundamentally sound baseball. And, you know, once those things sort of start to fade a little bit, you know, we, we saw a few of the, uh, a few of the warts here and there, you know, I think, um, I think it was on a couple of weeks ago. I had talked about some of the interesting decisions made with the bullpen, pinch running, pinch hitting. And I think those are the things where, you know, it takes experience. You have to kind of figure your way around the team and find out who and what you've got. And over these last couple of weeks, we've really seen a few guys come into their own a little bit despite the, the loss of Rowan Wick there at the end. Um, you know, Kimber is pitching better. Jason Adam, Ryan Tapera, guys like that. Even Dan Winkler is really coming around. And I think Ross is getting a better feel for how to use those guys. And we've seen him do a better job of when he's going to insert Billy Hamilton as that runner. I I think he's getting a better feel for those little moments uh, that can kind of turn the tide a little bit. And, uh, you know, and sometimes quite honestly, it it helps whether you're either blowing somebody out or getting blown out because you can make a few moves and, and get a look at a guy where maybe you wouldn't in a closer game. So, uh, you know, he's still feeling it out. There's still moments where we're going to question and scratch our heads. But it, it
2: feels like he's
5: kind of got his sea legs under him, so to speak. And, and obviously, he's he better because he's only got two games left to figure it out for the playoffs.
3: <laughs> hey, last Dude. thing from me, man, is we, we talked about the, the Javier Baez home run last night. Then, of course, the the lefty hit against Yalmer late in the game. But have you been able to – because Baez obviously has not had the luxury of video, and I know that some of that has been blamed on why Baez has not been great, that you can't do the in-game video thing. But when you've watched the tape, Evan, what, what have, you, have you seen anything different from Baez as to why he has not been as consistent this year? Or is it just Baez missing? Because I don't know what to say when people ask me that question because I don't see a whole lot of difference in Baez's approach.
5: Yeah, it's been really tough to kind of discern. I mean, we've talked before about Chris Bryant, you know, and, and clearly he's been out for a while. His is more injury-based. You can look at that and say, okay, I can understand how an injury would cause this. Up until last night, Baez was, statistically speaking, the worst qualified hitter in Major League Baseball. Uh, whether you look at WRC+, weighted on base average, until, actually, I think he was he was one point better than uh, and I don't even remember who for the Royals in terms of having the lowest OPS in Major League Baseball. So, I mean, it was just bad across the board. And, you know, it, it looks like, like what we saw and the adjustments that we've seen from him in the in the past were he's always been susceptible to those sliders. But there were a lot of times when he was doing a much better job of knowing that stuff was coming, adjusting down and away, and he'd flip some balls out there into right field. You know, they might not be powerful hits, but he'd flip a single you know, he'd get something going, and he'd force the pitchers to kind of be a little bit more honest. But, you know, pitchers are attacking him. They're not afraid of him, and that's a big part of it. He's really been susceptible to the high fastball, and they're starting him with the fastball as soon as they get ahead in the county. I mean, he is seeing an inordinate number of first-pitch strikes. And then after that, they can go away. So I think what we saw is they used to try to go away early and just stay away from him, stay away, and he'd be able to look for that. Well, now they're coming in. Uh, up and in with fastballs, and then going away. so pitchers change their approach. He's not really done a very good job, and we've seen how Hobby gets into swing mode and uh, and then he's just lost. And so I, I think it's just a matter of of trying to make those adjustments and having the short season, whether it be the video, whether it be the lack of fans. I think there's a big psychological component to it that is you know that's the only those things you can only really overcome with a significant amount of either rest. Or uh, you know you just kind of step away for a while. So I don't think we see this continue next year. But it's it's just a difficult situation for him, and I think he's in his head a little bit too much.
4: Evan, appreciate your time. Thanks for giving us part of your Saturday. Hope you're well, and uh, and so is Ryan. And uh, we'll talk to you soon again. Hopefully,
5: sounds good to me, guys. Thanks for having me on again.
4: Thanks, man. All right, Evan Altman, Cubs Insider. We're we'll taking a break. When we come back, I want to this week, Mark, you Mark connected some dots for me. I want that noted. I want to explain how. Maybe he connected some dots for you, too. This is Steve Rosenblum and Mark Rody, Saturday 2nd, Chicago Sports Radio, 670, The Score.
3: to Daniel Jones, tight pocket, oh, hit ball. from behind, ball comes out.
2: Let's see who has it. Hits it <laughs> around the 20-yard line, and the Bears
5: take it away. I think it was Robert Quinn. I think it was Robert Quinn that knocked the ball
4: away. Indeed it was. Top there was Robert Quinn. First is the bear. Khalil Mac with a recovery. And the Bears are off and running. They're doing what they do. That defense, what well, the way it was designed. So so I had I had read Robert Quinn's quotes when he signed with a Bear, Well, oh, Bears Atlanta. It was like he didn't care. Wherever the mercenary money was, that's where he was gonna go. He sounded very nonplussed, heard him on interviews, sounded very blasé. And then Mark Grody connected some dots for me. Mark Grody, pick up the story. You connected some, you and Matt Nagy con, connected some dots for me about Robert Quinn and maybe connected dots for fans as well.
3: Yeah. If you want to know a little bit more about the, the personality, the demeanor of a Robert Quinn, you, we can go to the tape. And let's hear what Matt Nagy had to say about Robert Quinn, the man.
1: Whenever I see him in the hallways here at Hollis or at lunch or something, ask him how his day's going, he always starts it off with pretty good because I woke up. You see the sideline copy, you'll see he's up, he's jumping up and down. When he's on the sideline, when he's not out there, he's really into the team aspect. He's just very, he just kind of talks slow when he talks, and he's just country, happy to be able to play football and just do what you tell me to do, coach. That's kind of how he is, you you got to love it. And his teammates love it, and we're lucky to have him.
4: And that's the explanation. Mark Grody's Bears report was all about the two Robert Quinns, the one you see or hear, and then the one you watch play. And the one I never saw on the sideline, but Matt Nagy saw it. I just, your Bears report that you hear on the score, he also does, Mark Grody also does sideline reports for Bears games, home games this time. Um, So there was a, there was connecting those dots about this guy, he's so into it that helped me. I liked him more by the time I was done listening to what you had to report, Mark. So thank you.
3: Yeah. That. I mean, he and he said that to us before too, like when we've asked him like via Zoom when we're going through the niceties of the beginning and and things like that. Hey, how you doing? Yeah. I, I woke up today, so I'm doing well. So he's <laughs> the, way, the way the way Matt Nagy described him is exactly the way our dealings with him in the media have been you know via zoom and conference calls and yeah i could tell you from being you know front row on that in the in the stands literally front row in the stands 50 yard line about 15 yards behind the bears bench for the sidelines that yeah absolutely man he was pumped up and when he forced that fumble subsequently picked up by khalil Mack, you had quinn obviously coming to the sideline and then the thing that you probably didn't see or hear about was Khalil Mack going out there, scooping up the football then again and sprinting to the sideline and laying it slapping it in the belly of Robert Quinn to say that's your ball man that is yours you made that play so it was pretty cool to see the the animated version of Khalil Mack as well who is usually relatively calm on the sideline although he was pretty pumped up for that game as well and he was he was mic'd up too as I found out so that's Khalil Mack that
4: is you just keep connecting more dots, Mark Grody.
3: Thank you very much Hey, man, much for that's that. a career achievement moment for me that I connected dots for Steve Rosenblum, who made <laughs> connecting dots famous all those years in the Chicago <laughs> Tribune.
4: Well, thank you, sir. All right, we have a busy hour ahead. We have White Sox angst to deal with. We have What Are You Doing, Wagner? And we have Rick Hahn. We're going to bring you back what he said That might not go along with what White Sox fans or some people think he should have said. So we'll bring you that all next hour. Take a break now. This is Saturday Suckage, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score.
2: We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio.
1: Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof?